we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. We're up to episode 97. It's the 24th of May, 2017. It's the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast with me, the one and only, the Velvet Glove, Scott. How are you? I'm really well, thanks, Trevor. How's yourself? I'm going very well, Scott. So I'm um, pleased to hear that. Real um, um, mix match of different stuff we've got for people this week that's going on in the world. We'll be covering the globe. And um, Scott, I didn't mention it in the, our little pre-talk there, but... Another bombing, you know, in Manchester. This is time, uh, stadium full of kids watching, you know, a, yeah, it's, a show. It, it, it's um, he's the son of a um of Iranian refugees, isn't he? Libyan, I thought they were. Okay, well, yeah. Libyan, Iranian, whatever. I, mm. I just um, it, well, it beggars belief. I mean, because you know. <laughs> One of the things that really gave me the irrits the other day, I was watching the drum, and there, it descended into chaos yes. because there was there was an academic on there who said that you know this, this is because the the Western um, societies aren't as aren't, aren't as welcoming as they could be. Correct. Yes. And I just saw red when he said that because I thought to myself, you know, this bloke was the son of refugees. The country had opened the doors to them he was born and bred in manchester he probably spoke like a um uh manchester manchester right or whatever you call them mm-hmm. and uh he blew himself up you know it, it, i cannot it's, it's, for the life of me understand where the hell these guys are coming from but it's not unusual that it's the it's the sons and daughters of refugees who are the terrorists because yeah. When Trump brought in his um, Muslim ban and and at different times people have spoken about the fact that um, that very little terrorism has occurred by recently arrived refugees, if you like. Um, But there's an awful lot has been performed by people who are the sons and daughters of refugees. And that bombing in the subway in the UK... 7th of July bombing, um, you know, lots of those were working in the national health system and one was a neurosurgeon or something like that. So um, mm. a lot of these people are actually... And the uh, the bombers for the World Trade Centre were um, quite successful Engineers. and well-educated yeah. people. So uh, that was complete nonsense by that guy on the drum to suggest that it's uh, um, a lack of... A lack of success in the Western country that they've ended up in has caused the problem. Um, mm. Ultimately, it comes I down to... I look. you've got to look at what the problem is. And the, the problem is that they've all got one thing in common. They're all followers of Muhammad. They're all Muslims, you yes. know? Yes. And, and it is... When you've got a religion that um, spawns the number of terrorists that they do, then they've got a problem. Mm. And, and they've got a situation where this identity politics is saying to people, you know, you, 
you, you must identify with your culture and they'll just go to the extreme where they um, feel that they haven't yet got into the Western culture, so they, they give themselves a souped-up version of, of, you know, their parents' culture, even more so than what their parents are practising. You know, girls, yes. you know, it's the, it's the daughters of immigrant women who are putting on the hijab before their mothers are. Mm-hmm. Or when their mothers aren't, and the mothers are sort of following them to keep them company, and it's the sons who are blowing up things when the fathers mm. aren't. Um, so it's a it's a strange phenomena, and uh, it's just going to ha- keep happening, isn't it? I mean, how do you stop it? Uh, well, you, you know, you can, it's you can check bags in a stadium, but then they'll just blow people up as they're waiting to have their bags checked. Like, exactly. Yeah. So um, it's um, you know, it's really. You know, it was um, there was a uh, journalist who wrote the who wrote a piece after um, the um, yeah, Berlin Christmas markets obscenity, yes. where that guy drove a truck through mm-hmm. and ploughed and and killed six or seven people, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And um, she made the point that um, you've just got to accept now that. One of the dangers that you've got going to a Christmas market is you could be mowing down for it, mm. you know, mm. and that is bloody frightening, really. Mm. It's interesting mm. to know how, um, like, the thing about the cars and the trucks is it's easy to get hold of a car or a truck. I just wonder how easy it is to get hold of, how easy it is to make a bomb. It's, well, uh, apparently it's not that hard. You yeah. Know, so. Mm. Anyway, that's Manchester. Mm. That's another incident to line up with. You know, all the many that have occurred and will occur in the future, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Back closer to home, Scott. Uh, Catholic education sector. (laughs) So the recent budget, there have been some moves and they're starting to put just the tiniest little squeeze on the Catholic education sector. And... You know, no surprise that they are screaming like banshees. And, you know, with this budget, it's it's just such a minor small step to getting things back to where they should be that it totally fails. But at least it is showing a sign of a willingness to stand up to the Catholic Church. And yeah. for that, there's a little light at the end of the tunnel. They're still getting way too much money for what they should you know any a single dollar is too much for them but mm. um at least we can see finally the uh debate is is turning against them and some mm. politicians are willing to stand up and one of the f- things that's really been pointed out in the last week Scott is how uh the deal that the government has with the catholics is that okay, you've got all of these schools and under this formula, applying that formula to each of your schools, uh, put it all into a spreadsheet, uh, grand total of X, you know, billions of dollars at the bottom. Um, They just write a check to the Catholics and say, there's your money, now divide it up amongst your schools. Mm. And, of course, what we're finding is that the Catholic hierarchy are not dividing that money up the way it was calculated and the way it should go. So, article here, uh, some examples. 
Catholic education authorities are shortchanging needy schools by up to $1.5 million a year to keep fees low at schools in wealthy areas in Sydney and Melbourne. This is uh, from release of previously secret Department of Education data. So we've got St Mary of the Cross MacKillop Catholic Parish Primary School, low socioeconomic school in Melbourne's Epping North, received $1.86 million, um, in 2015. That was $1.49 million less than its federal government allocation. Yeah, see, that's bloody criminal, isn't it? You know, that they are are manipulating the numbers like that and that they are stealing from their own kind. They're stealing from the poor and giving to the rich. Yeah. The gall of this group. Meanwhile, St. Columban School in the affluent Melbourne suburb of Elwood received 15% more funding than its federal government allocation. Another example, St. Jerome's Catholic Primary School, a low socioeconomic school in Western Sydney, suburb of Punchbowl, received $2.71 million in funding. That was $1.3 million less than what the federal needs-based entitlement was. And, of course, Sacred Heart Catholic Primary School in Pimble received $412,000 more than its federal funding allocation. They cannot be trusted with children. They no. cannot be trusted with government money. They can't be trusted with morals. They can't be trusted with anything. No, they, they, they honestly can't be. And I think that the, as a slap in the face, seeing they're complaining and that sort of stuff, you should say to them, radio, we'll apply needs base on a per school basis. So that's who we're, that's who we're going to give the money to now. Yeah, if you're going to give money, well, the first step is not to give it into a big pot. And and that's with the other schools, the other um, denominations, uh, non-Catholic, the funds go direct to the school. They don't go into a pot for the hierarchy to divvy up. And Mm. uh, so anyway, great to see some heat going on to the the, uh, Catholic hierarchy uh, to get some change. Simon Birmingham really Mm. has um, come into his own, hasn't he? Mm. He's... um, really standing up to them and he's giving it back to them you know it's um there was something that was tweeted out this morning by abc breakfast where simon birmingham said it's disappointing to see the catholics are lying you know so Hmm. it's um yeah it really is well and truly overdue so they haven't really taken that much money off them but there's a, a change in tone which is which is really pleasing to see so um absolutely Right, uh, across the Pacific to the United States, it's hard to do an episode uh, of any podcast without mentioning Donald Trump at some stage, <laughs> Scott. He is he, the gift that keeps on giving, isn't he? <laughs> oh, he gives too much. He's, you, you can't digest the things that happen with this man qu- quickly enough. <laughs> this is his skill, that he can just bounce from one... What would normally be career-ending catastrophe to another in in the space of twenty four hours? He does it so quickly that you just can't keep up. It becomes the new norm. It's if it was a strategy, well, you know, it's brilliant, but it's not a strategy. It's just the way he is. Well, the thing that I found really bizarre is that you know when he was running for office and that sort of stuff, and he said things like, "Wouldn't it be good if if we in Russia got along better?" And you thought mm. to yourself, yeah, you're right. You, you guys really should really should bury the hatchet and that sort of stuff and move on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he sacks Comey and 24 hours later, he's got the uh, Russian foreign minister in the, in the Oval Office. Mm. 
you know, it's madness, you know. Mm. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they said, why is it a big deal that Lavrov was in the Oval Office? It's a big deal because foreign foreign minister is generally presented to Secretary of State mm. and no higher. Mm. So, you know, it's... Well, well, what he's done... It's maddening. The Donald is... So he sacked Kami, the FBI director, and mm. his staff came out and said, oh, it wasn't because of the investigation about the, the Russian connection to the campaign. But then Donald Trump came out straight away and said, actually, it was. That's why I sacked him. Yeah. Because <laughs> of his investigation <laughs> into the it's Russian actually- connection into my campaign. So... And then, the next day, he then tells the Russians about uh, some espionage um, secrets, which, which basically the Israelis have got some spy deep and high within ISIS, and by Donald Trump telling the Russians this information, uh, it basically alerts ISIS that okay, you've got an Israeli spy in there, you better find him and do something about it. So, you know, a really key person is put in danger because of this numbskull having to blurt out and sound important in front of the Russians. And so that was all, you know, one day and then the next. And and now he's in gone to Saudi Arabia and he's sold them $100 billion worth of weapons. Is there any other mm. group? I'd rather he gave them to North Korea than the Saudis, at least... <laughs> They're probably less dangerous. He's, it's amazing. Well, the Saudis, the Saudis have been um, relatively well behaved, apart from mm. Yemen and that sort of stuff. So mm. you know they aren't. If you're going to arm anyone, you might as well arm them. But uh, they're like the Catholics. You can't trust them, Scott. There. Well, you can't. But, you can't trust them. But you know, it's if you're going to if you're going to pick anyone in that neck of the woods well Israel first and then you might you know, I suppose you'd throw oh, money God. at the Saudis but, but why you, know, you just can't give weapons to the Saudis they're just they're out of control they they'll do any who knows what could happen with that group but um yeah exactly but that's the Donald that's what he's been up to in a nutshell if somebody's asking you know what's he done that's so bad well there's three things in literally <laughs> 3 days so yeah so, people are talking... He's about, mad, isn't he? Mm. Mm, people are talking about impeachment, Scott. Yeah, so and we need that's a little... really surprising how easy it is to impeach him. Mm, well, a little 101, dear listener. What's it take to impeach a president? I'll link to an article here. Gives the details. So, impeach has its roots in the Latin word for being caught. Uh, it allows the legislature to indict or charge an official with criminal activity and that official will be removed from office if convicted. So this article has got uh, five questions to answer about impeachment, and the first is, what sort of crime can lead to impeachment? And the answer is, um, Constitution says of the US, uh, treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanours, which can be pretty broad. Uh, Bill Clinton faced... Um, impeachment for perjury, which was lying under oath, and for obstruction of yeah. justice. Uh, it didn't go all the way. Um, <coughs> and Gerald Ford put it uh, bluntly when he described an impeachable offence as whatever a majority of the House of Representatives considers to be at a given moment in history. So mm. uh, if the House of Reps is against you, um, 
uh, Mr. Any sort of Mr. Bean, it could be. So, um, so it doesn't have to be super <coughs> serious. Perjury and obstruction of justice. I mean, not good, but not not treason. Uh, how does it work? Um, so there's a, th- a thing called the House Judiciary Committee. So they would vote on the articles of impeachment. If approved, then it's brought before the, uh, the full House. Uh, if the House um, passes the impeachment, then it goes to the Senate for trial. And a trial is conducted much like a criminal case with witnesses called, but it needs a two-thirds majority of the Senate to convict and remove the individual in question. So two presidents, Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton, have been impeached by the House, but both avoided being removed from office by the Senate. Um, And the Supreme Court doesn't do anything except the Chief Justice actually sits in the Senate and um, presides over the trial. So, So it's a bit of a numbers game, Scott, uh, with the Republicans having the numbers in the House and the Senate, some would say unlikely to get a two-thirds majority in the Senate to impeach Trump. But... Well, if he continues on the way he is, you know, hmm. they've got midterms coming up. You know, ultimately, OK, from the Republicans, if they hate Trump... Um, Get rid of him, and then your vice president becomes president. You still—it's yeah. like the Republicans still have power. So, um, given that he's a true outsider, um, I would have thought they wouldn't think too hard about just, if necessary, uh, giving Trump the boot to get rid of him, and then they can put Pence in, and away they go. The Republicans still in charge. Well, that's what I was thinking. I thought to myself, well, Pence is actually the more popular Republican, so I would have thought that there'd be no problem there. But anyway. So um, so if you're noise enough Republicans, maybe the numbers won't matter so much. Um, let me see here. Uh, well, that's, that one basically discussed that topic, number three. Um, other people can be impeached. Um, judges can be. Um, some other high officials can be. And, yes, if he's removed, then the vice president um, would be the next one in line. And if the vice president was also implicated in the president's crime, then um, uh, who would it Speaker be? Speaker of the House. Speaker of the House, Paul yeah, Ryan. Yeah, so would be Paul the Ryan, yeah. Mm. yeah. And who knows? It's such a muddy, messy campaign with Russian connections everywhere. Um a little bit of mud could stick to the vice president as well. You never know. It's not out of the question. <laughs> Both of them could be could be done over in an impeachment. So you never so know. There you go. Yeah. Yes. So we'll wait and see with that. Uh, Scott Bible Society. Um, I'm on their mailing list, and they sent me an invitation <laughs> to a master class. And are you going? Uh, no, uh, it's in Sydney. <laughs> by the looks of it. It just goes to show the, the you know, the, the money they've got and the organisation they've got that they can send out these flies and invite people to come and they've got speakers and um, it's all free and part of the flyer says... It's down on the Gold Coast, New Life <laughs> Uniting Church, oh, Gold is it? Coast. Oh, yeah. well, maybe I will go. Yeah. <laughs> 
One of the guys is that John Dixon. Um, so we've spoken about him in the past, and he's the one who um, gets very angry if people suggest that Jesus Christ was a fictional figure. So, mm. um, And I think he's also the one who ran rings around the fierce representative in that really uncomfortable interview that time. Yeah, so, possibly. Yeah. yeah. So it says here, the Bible Society would like principals, teachers, chaplains youth leaders and parents to identify and invite students who would benefit from a day of investment in their spiritual development and better prepare them to be leaders within their school and local community. Just another one of the insidious activities of school chaplains that they're there spotting talent in the school and shuffling them off to these sorts of things. Yeah, Scary. Uh, still on the Bible Society, um, they have been calling for donations um, for Bible lessons for teenage girls in Cameroon who have been raped or abused. With your support, abused and exploited girls will receive Bible teaching, learn vital life skills and receive emotional and psychological healing. That's from the Bible Society. That's how they teach people English, is they teach them the Bible. This must have been it, it Facebook. Makes you wonder, it makes you wonder, what, you know, how the hell they're going to actually help someone who's been raped by showing them the Bible verse saying that you've got to marry your rapist? Mm. Well, you know, I, it's... I, I noticed on this one that the 12th man commented and he said, is this some kind of sick joke? You want to use ancient literature <laughs> depicting mass murder, subjugation of women, and a narcissistic, violent overlord who demands subservience, especially from women, to treat women traumatised by violent men, many of whom <laughs> use ancient literature to justify their abuses. Oh, my. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Good on you, 12th man, out there in the trenches, battling away on, on comment pages. Giving his two cents worth. Well done, Paul. Well, that was probably the most sensible thing that was said about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Indigenous Round, uh, NRL, and um, okay, celebrate Indigenous uh, culture. And there is a lot of Indigenous players in the NRL. But mm. one of the ideas put forward by Commissioner Chris Zara. Um, was that there would be two versions of Advance Australia Fair played prior to the match, one of them being a, um Aboriginal-friendly version with different words. And um, in this article, um, the journalist says, well, apparently Channel 9 and Fox Sports says, said, don't do it, it's not a good idea. But uh, Chris Sarah wanted to um, push the point. And the journalist um, said, well, I could have asked Anthony Mundine for his opinion, and we know what that would have been, but he asked Stan Grant. And um, we have been critical of Stan Grant in the past on this on this podcast, Scott. Mm. But he actually gave some, I think, some sensible responses to this. And um, yeah. he was, was really against quite it, good, wasn't it? Uh, mm. at the end of the day. He said... Um, the sport has been an amazing avenue for Aboriginal people to achieve things in life. And secondly, it has been an incredible outlet for reconciliation and bringing people together. We can celebrate that without opening up a political hornet's nest. 
That's the idea. We've got people, black and white, doing stuff together. Why do we want to suddenly separate them again? It just doesn't make sense. It drives a wedge between people Mm, when they've come together in a mutually enjoyable activity and we want to separate them and point out differences. Mm. This celebration of diversity doesn't help. I mean, we should be celebrating uh, the things that we have in common. That's what we should be celebrating. Yeah. Ah, Scott. Um, And another one by Stan Grant then that popped up was um, he said that uh, it's two weeks since the budget and he had a confession was that he'd he'd basically paid it uh, scant attention. And I think I'm probably guilty of the same thing. I really didn't pay much attention to this budget. You know why? Because Mm -hmm. it sailed through. It was fair. You know, there wasn't anything in there that really stuck out as being unfair. But hang on a minute. Company tax breaks, which were $50 billion, are now $64 billion worth well, that's of tax because breaks. Well, that's because the five years out and that sort of stuff has been increased. You know, you've got, um, you've got to factor into that that the growth rates in profits and that sort of stuff will, uh, will, be redu- will, be re- will result in greater tax breaks. Okay. But, you know, it was touted as a $50 billion cost. And now yeah. it's 64. Yeah. And that's just throwing money away, as we've already yeah, discussed. But that, that is, yeah, and that is also based on that you get the entire tax package through, which they're not going to get through and that sort of thing. So, well, is that why we yeah. don't care? Because we just think, well, okay, that's the budget, but it really doesn't matter because only bits and pieces will ever get through. Exactly, yeah. There hasn't been enough attention paid, though, to that company tax break. $64 billion. Scott, no, that's, that's right. I mean, like you've got you've got the Labor Party saying that they will only they'll only uh, deal with it up to turnovers of ten million dollars or something like that. Mm. So you know, it is. I agree with you. It's far too large and that sort of stuff. Mm. It is far too generous, but it won't get through. Not mm. in its current form. So mm. anyway. still, they should have copped curry over it. I mean, that's sixteen submarines there, Scott. <laughs> And and with schools, you know, the funding of uh, private and religious schools is still way too much. Still way too much. It is. Yeah. It is. But you know, you've got to you've got to accept what you can get through. And I do think yeah. that um, you know we ought to be what you know. Labor really has missed out on a prime opportunity here because you know you've got a coalition government that's actually calling for this. Mm. You know, and that's why the ALP should be bending over backwards to accommodate them. Mm. But they're not. Anyway. Mm. Mm. Anyway, nice article by Stan Grant saying he didn't pay any attention to the budget really because there's a lot of other things happening in the world, big issue things that that we're just not talking about. I'll list them. The world economy is stagnating. The gap between wealth, wealthiest and poorest is widening. The poor among us are growing in number. Entire industries are disappearing. Jobs are going. They won't come back. Full-time work's vanishing. Retirement age is being pushed back. Average wages have flatlined, yet corporate bosses pay themselves obscene amounts. Our children will be poorer than us, which is worrying. Social mobility is waning. A good education is no guarantee of a prosperous future. Um, 
the planet's getting hotter, the world's stockpiling nuclear weapons, and we haven't even begun to talk about Islamic State and global terrorism. Like, he paints a, a picture there that is true. Like, these are massive issues that just aren't getting any any uh, airtime at all. So I like that article. And, and so it's a three-page article, and Stan Grant doesn't once mention Aboriginal issues. He just, you know, these are the big issues that need addressing, and uh, I liked it. Good on him. Mm. Mm. It was very good, yeah. Mm. Question without notice, Scott. Quiz. Yep. <coughs> oh, okay. 2016. How many yep. refugees did Japan take in 2016? Zero. <laughs> Close. Dear listener, how many do you reckon out there? Very wealthy country, Japan. Well, you know, hasn't been going so great lately, but still, let's face it, a big industrial. It's still the world's it's superpower. The third largest economy on the planet. Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, uh, the answer is, dear listener, 28. 28 <laughs> refugees. <laughs> in, in Japan, in an entire year. I wonder what those well, 28 did. Know, oh, God knows. But, you know, they are the only planet on Earth, they're the only oh, country yeah. on Earth that has a racist policy for its immigration. Mm. Mm. You must be able to prove you've got Japanese blood in you and that sort of stuff before you can go there. See, you know, must be. Which is... Is that how it works? Error. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, there was a situation where they had um, Japanese people who had grown up in Brazil and that sort of stuff, and they went back home. They went back to Japan. And, oh. uh, yeah, they were accepted because they were Japanese. Ah, uh, okay. Mm. Well, I believe Japan has a very high... Um, uh, foreign aid budget. I think they spend a fair bit of money on foreign aid. Mm, that really wouldn't surprise me. Mm. We need to spend more, I reckon, because we were uh, at one stage about 13th in the world um, as a percentage of GDP, um, and uh, we have dropped 21st and will probably um, be dropping even further um, because... Um, Julie Bishop's pretty stingy with the foreign aid and I reckon it's money well spent if we use it uh, in our region to to help prop up the good people and help prevent civil war outbreaks and help stop a situation where X million number of people suddenly have to climb on a boat and get out of there. So we should exactly. be... You know, the, the... It's money well spent because you you spend it in your region and that sort of thing. You um, you prevent civil wars mm. and then you um, prevent having a mass exodus of people. So I think it's a great idea. But mm. you know, but if you've got twelve submarines being built at an exorbitant amount of money, then you've mm. got to you know you've got to pare back your budget anywhere else. But uh, yes, yeah. Well. Um Two things, Scott. One is um, speaking to my friend about uh, Indonesia because, you know, on this topic of, you know, countries potentially exploding if things don't go right and, mm. you know, a huge number of uh, refugees heading our way and the situation with AHOC and, uh, you know, I mean, the governor of Jakarta and the best mate of the president and he's, you know, convicted of a blasphemy he didn't commit. Like, it, this can just happen to anybody. Mm. And um, my friend was saying that uh, within the military, for example, you've got Christians and you've got Muslims. 
And if mm. the imams are saying that a Muslim cannot take directions or orders from a Christian, which is, you know, part of what was happening here with this AHOC thing, um, then you're going to have members of the military who are going to be saying, well, I don't take orders from Christian commanders. Mm. And uh, I said, you know, here's what could happen is that they'll have Muslim units who can take orders from Muslim commanders and they'll have Christian units who can take orders from Christian commanders. And you've got a split military on religious lines at some stage... Uh, you know, they're going to draw back. One of those hmm. could could say, "Well, we're not happy with the other side, and all hell breaks loose." Hmm. It's a real possibility, isn't it? Hmm. So, um, so watch that space with the Indonesian military and its religious divisions. And if Muslims are told that they can't take orders from a Christian boss, that's a problem in the military where there's lots of orders being given. So we'll we'll see what happens. The other thing you mentioned then was, oh, well, we can't fit it under the budget because we're spending, you know, $64 billion on companies. The, the other thing, Scott, is the Snowy Hydro expansion that was announced. Yeah, I read that and I always had to read it twice. I couldn't believe it that they had um, forgotten expanding transmission lines. Yeah. That they'd forgotten that when they when they came to the... Um, price, yeah, um, of two billion of three billion dollars, yeah, yeah. Um, the amazing thing, Scott, is okay. So that's it was a two billion dollars, <coughs> but likely to blow out to three billion for this expansion of the Snowy Hydro scheme. What came out in this was that that Malcolm Turnbull announced that project less than two weeks after the idea was raised with his office by Snowy Hydro. Can you believe that, dear listener? The Snowy Hydro guys walked in and said, we've got an idea for you. Here's something you could spend money on and create jobs. It's only going to cost $2 billion. It's, you know, it's Snowy Hydro Scheme 2.0. How about it? And 13 days later, he says yes. This is incredible, Scott. It's ridiculous. No wonder that it was a billion dollars out to start with. But where was the grassroots campaign for that? It mm. just goes to show that um, you can, if you can get an idea into a leader's head, anything's possible. You can, he'll spend now $3 billion on less than two weeks' consideration. I can't believe it. Yeah, it's incredible, really. You would have thought that some mm. more... You would have hoped that there'd be a group of people sitting down looking at the case and seeing whether it's worth it. But 13 days... Well, one would have thought so, yeah. Ah, oh, goodness me. Dear listener, not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. 
go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. Well, Scott, I believe this guy has, has um, ground your gears. Um, <laughs> Harry Priest, <laughs> Glenn Tattersall. Do you want to tell the... Have you got that one in front of you? I've got that one in front of me. Do you want to tell the dear listener what parish priest Glenn Tattersall is up to? Father Glenn Tattersall, a Melbourne-based parish priest, told the Weekend Australian that many Catholics were angry with the way the Royal Commission had dealt with the church. And Mm. the headline is, Royal Commission into Child Abuse, a Hatchet Job, see priests. Mm. Um, You know, it's absolutely ridiculous and I'll just point out the perla of a uh, quote from him. There are many mm. people who are saying we need to lighten up about same-sex marriage and same-sex relationships generally, and they're railing against sexual abuse. That's sexual abuse, isn't it? Their relation, there's, if there's a relationship between a priest and a boy in his late teens, how is it sexual abuse when he is 16 or 17, and then it's a wonderful relationship when you're 19? I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, because the... Boy concerned is over the age of consent at Mm. 19. You know, it's absolutely crazy that this guy would try and draw a link between those two things. Mm. But anyway, he did. Um, Father Tattersall then took aim at Mr. Sullivan. Um, Yes, Francis Sullivan, the head of the Truth, Justice and Healing Council. Yes. Yes. Um, Remembering, I'll just interject, uh, Francis Sullivan is the one who said, I will not break the seal of the confessional. So if you change the law on that, Mm. get stuffed, Mm. I'm going to do what I want to do. So, you know, it's not like he's agreeing to everything that's being proposed, Francis Sullivan. But keep keep going, Scott. No. Um, However, Father Tattersall said Mr. Sullivan had been using his position to push his liberal agenda in the church and that that he was a wannabe bishop. I don't think he, Mr. Sullivan, enjoys the confidence of the best priests in Australia. Mm. Um, I think Father Tattersall was uh, promptly shut down by a... uh, um, Elizabeth Proust, who was the vice chair of the Truth, Justice and Healing Council. Francis has our full backing, and if there are clergy and others who think it's not appropriate, they need to ask themselves, where were they when the abuse was happening? Where were the voices condemning the abuse? And what are they doing to ensure it never happens again, she said. And, you know, it's really hard not to agree with her on that. It's impossible to agree with uh, Father Tattersall. I found his whole defense of it absolutely repugnant and then you've got to remember in february it was revealed that 4,445 people had made complaints against almost 2,000 alleged catholic perpetrators in one order the saint john of god's brothers you know yes in that order 40 percent of them were uh, yeah alleged yeah nearly four and a half thousand people making complaints against 2,000 catholic perpetrators and this guy says it's a setup uh exactly Caused by the loose morality of liberals and homosexuals. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, it, it's, it, you know, you've got to wonder where the hell their brains are that they would come up with that, that they'd think to themselves that, oh, yeah, this is a, this is a great opportunity to beat up on the gays, you mm. know? Totally out of touch. Yeah. Totally yeah. out of touch. Um, yeah. 
Oh, we've got some great uh, patrons out there. Thank you again, Sean, Alex, Jason, Grant, John, Craig, Janelle, and Al. Good on you for your support. Um, discovered some new things in Patreon where it's going to be possible to do some patron-only episodes that only you can get hold of. So I've got some ideas in the pipeline for that. And... Um, uh, dear listener, I did mention before we've got a new listener feedback um, ability where you can go onto the website, click onto a link, leave some voicemail messages, and this is going to be one of my favourite bits, I think. And uh, <laughs> so, on this occasion, uh, I will now give you uh, the sage advice of of Landon Hardbottom, uh, and also further. Uh, <laughs> After Landon, we've got some uh, some advice from well, not advice, but we've got a plea for help from what problem? So, uh, so stand by for those. I've just listened to your podcast about private schools, and I must say I'm appalled. If we don't continue to fund private schools, we won't have an audience for the ballet or for the opera. I mean, who will play polo and rugby? Where would we be without rugby? What are you thinking, man? Thanks for seeing me, Doc. Um, I started listening to the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove, you know, just once a week to take the edge off. And now I can't stop. I'm downloading and listening to back copies almost every day. I need your help, please. There you go, dear listener. Thank you, Landon Hardbottom. Thank you, What Problem. If you're out there, dear listener, and you've got some advice for us or a few comments to make, get onto the website and click the voicemail link and you can leave us a 25-second message and it will make our day. Thank you for that. Right, Scott. A bit of a brouhaha has happened um, in relation to a lady who wrote an article called In Defence of Transracialism. And what she was making the point was that we've mentioned previously in the podcast a lady called Rachel Dolezal, who um, had been the head of the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People. And um, she basically uh, was telling people that she was a person of colour. And uh, she had to resign from her post after it was revealed though that although she had been presenting as a black woman for some years her parents were in fact white and uh, she was subject to ridicule and condemnation for misrepresenting her true race so that is exhibit a rachel dolezal exhibit b in this saga is caitlin jenner and caitlin jenner uh, formerly bruce jenner um, decided to change sex, famously or infamously, and mm. was applauded for doing so. And this article by... Um, oh, what's her name here? I have to get the name. Um, I'll come back to it in Tuvel? a moment. Yes, Tuvel. Yeah. Makes the point. Rebecca why, Tuvel. Thank you. Um, a scholarly article of about 12 pages... Making the point, well, what's the difference here? We've got um, 
uh, Caitlyn Jenner identifying now as a woman and changing from a man to a woman and being applauded for it. And we've got mm. Rachel Dalzell who identifies as a black person and is changing from a white person to a black person. Why the double standard? And and just gave you know various reasons as to why that that was uh, the, the similarities between them and addressed you know uh, the the counter arguments and put forward a very good argument to say well if you can accept that people can identify as a different gender to what they were born then you probably have to um, agree that somebody could identify as a different race and take on a different race if that's what they want to do and a compelling argument which all sounds mm. good and you know and she uh, her conclusion was basically um you know good on both women if that's what they want to do they should be allowed to was kind of the tone of of the article well the feminazis just went ballistic <laughs> against this woman they just went crazy and said you can't say that what Caitlyn Jenner was perfectly fine, but it is not fine to adopt another race. And vitriol and insult and just fur flying left, right and centre. Um, so much so that this other article that we've linked to um, from the Philosophical Salon, where this lady said, you know, I've had to come in and jump to the, to, um, to the defence of Rebecca Tuval. And she herself has then been subjected to an enormous uh, level of insult and outrage. It goes on and on and on. But you get the general picture, dear listener, that, that this reminded me, Scott, of the Ayan Hersey Alley situation that we had a couple of months ago where she wanted yeah. to come to Australia. And uh, mm. the, you know, quote, feminist Muslims just went rabid against her and accused her of all sorts of things and insults. And mm. there's no doubt about the left. And when she was when really, it, yeah. When it gets intolerant of somebody, well, well, you know, they're all sweetness. You know, we're so tolerant and inclusive until you do something that they really disagree with. <laughs> and then... Really disagree with, yeah. My goodness. Like, the, you wouldn't expect this from the alt-right, the sort of level of abuse. Mm. It's. I, th I think, dear listener, it's an example where these people claim to be inclusive, claim to be tolerant, but really on those issues where they're inclusive and tolerant, they just don't care. But on a matter that really cares to them, they have uh, all the foibles of um, you know people with who really can't see the other person's point of view. So. Um, so, yeah, just an expose, I think, Scott, an interesting one of how the left will... Some members will really rely on... And there's no sort of arguing in this. It was just insult and vitriol rather than argument. And, um, mm. yeah, if you get on the wrong side of them, you be prepared to cop plenty of flack. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Scott, have you ever bought a boomerang? Um. I was thinking about this, yeah, when I was really little I bought one from oh, a place down the Gold Coast, yeah. Hmm. yeah it's a place up the Sunshine Coast. I didn't Coast. spend 
Mm. I didn't spend $1,900 on it, though. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought it was possible, dear listener, to spend no. $1,900 on a boomerang, but apparently it is, <laughs> if it has the <laughs> Chanel brand on it. <laughs> so Chanel, uh, they're clever. I mean, they've worked out that some people will just spend money on anything. You know, the super rich just don't care. And so they just come up with stuff that's just ridiculously expensive because they know that somewhere someone will buy it. And uh, mm. so they have, um, um, like, for example, they had a set of four Chanel tennis balls in the leather pouch for a mere $570. Um, but on this uh, article is giving, uh, um, giving us information about a boomerang, which Chanel has manufactured, made of wood and resin. This retails for $1,930. And... Um, and of course, the cries have come out of disrespecting Aboriginal culture and cultural appropriation. Scott, you feel that's cultural yeah, I was appropriation? For that. Yeah. Do you, do you feel uh, it's cultural appropriation? I don't think it's cultural appropriation. No, I don't think it is because it's a boomerang. For God's sake, I mean, it's just mm. it's a tool, you know. When you look at it, it doesn't have any uh, Aboriginal, um, uh, typical Aboriginal markings, on it, markings no. on it. It's quite plain, and it's just got a Chanel logo, mm. but otherwise very plain. So no Aboriginal artwork as such. Anyway, uh, in the comments section on this one, here's one of the people saying, uh, disrespectful, how dare you use and make money from Indigenous culture, making a boomerang and selling with with your Chanel trademark on it. You have no right to this. Chanel, you are totally ignorant of the indigenous culture of Aboriginal people, um, the Tangata Wenua of Australia. Did you, Chanel, ask permission from the elders if you could make up and sell and place your trademark on the boomerang? Obviously, you lack the education by knowing that this is stomping on the mana of the First Nations indigenous culture. Stop selling this and any other Indigenous culture, art or craft and placing your trademark on it. Comes from Nairi Nukanuku. Anyway, Sam R responded and said, maybe they were appropriating the Egyptian, Indian or even Polish boomerang. And he gives a link to an article and it says, <laughs> why is the flying wing and throwing stick purely Aboriginal when it has been found in cultures all over the world? Maybe it's you who is taking ownership of something which is not entirely yours. This is the danger of cultural appropriation, Scott. Is how far back do you exactly, go? Exactly, yeah. And exactly. the article that he links you know, you, to. Sorry, go on. It, you know, sorry, I was going to. I was just going to make that exact point. You know, you've got um, you got you got this throwing stick from all over the planet. You know. Yeah. And this article, quite a lengthy one, talking about uh, uh, boomerangs in ancient Egypt, um, ancient India, and uh, and the oldest known um, boomerang coming from uh, a site in Poland. And I think it might have been made out of ivory, hence why it was able to survive for so long. So he's dead right that... Um, yeah, 23,000 years ago, um, made from a mammoth's tusk, a boomerang found in Poland. So this is the danger of cultural appropriation when people say, 
can't do that. Well, uh, you know, you go back a long way and you'll find somebody else possibly had it in the first place. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Scott, um, I like this one as a, a line that I'll probably say in the future. Um, this article says, um, at one of the premieres of his landmark Holocaust documentary, Shoah, the filmmaker, um, oh, the Holocaust documentary was called Shoah, 1985. The filmmaker Claude Landsman was challenged by a member of the audience, a woman who identified herself as a Holocaust survivor. Landsman listened politely as the woman recounted her harrowing personal account of the Holocaust to make the point that the film failed to fully represent the recollections of survivors. When she finished, Landsman waited a bit and then said, Madam, you are an experience, but not an argument. It's a good line. It happens all the time, Scott, where people say, well, this is what happened to me, and well, that is your experience, but it's not an argument. Um, Hmm. Article goes on to say, during the 80s and 90s, a shift occurred in culture. Personal experience and testimony, especially of suffering and oppression, began to challenge the primacy of argument. So, in all the things that we argue over, Scott, we'll see that a lot where people are just either, you know, you can say either, you know, Madam, you are an experience, but not an argument, or you could say, you know, well, that's an anecdote, but it's not an argument. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, that article goes on and on and on. And finally, Scott, I was just looking at another one that I was going to throw in early on, but it was Warren Mundine talking about private school versus public school, and he's very much in favour of yeah. um, the private schools being funded. And, you know, opening paragraph, my siblings and I went to Catholic schools, as have my children, stepchildren, and many of my grandchildren. The attack on Catholic schools as being elite and unworthy of government assistance is unfair and uninformed. Well, Warren, you are and experience but not an argument these anecdotal things don't count (laughs) i think that uh warren mundine should look at the numbers that we've just said Mm. and that you know you can look at it's you've you've pointed out in black and white you've you've marked it up beautifully you've got these situations that schools are being ripped off Mm. you know so i don't think that um I don't think yep. the criticism of the Catholic schools is, is unjustified. I think it's perfectly justified. Mm. Mm. Right, Scott. Well, that's it. Uh, we're just about up to the hour mark. So um, No worries. Yeah. Uh, dear listener, I'm hoping to have some new audio equipment functioning by uh, next week. So we'll have an even better sound and able to do a few extra little tricks and bits and pieces. And it'll make Skype interviews easier and we can join people in as well. So... Um, using a bit of Patreon money for that. Thank you, patrons, for that. And um, and Scott, I reckon that'll do us for the moment. So we'll talk to everybody next week. Okay. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye now. Bye. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up. Tell some friends, let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing 
something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said and when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.